Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon to everyone on this Thursday afternoon. Does your school use a teaching framework? Does this help or hinder your creativity? My guest today, Ian Tilbury and I, shall be discussing this and other such matters. So please get in touch if you've got an opinion or you want to join the conversation uh, through the Podbean app, through our website or on Twitter. Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're all well. Uh, we are getting closer, closer to half term. Um, I know many people I've seen this week are dead on their feet, um, quite literally, um, but we are nearly there. Okay, probably one more week for, for most people or perhaps uh, a little bit longer in some cases, uh, maybe two weeks, but we're, we're, not, we're not far off um, getting to that point. So just keep going, people. So yeah, I hope you're all well today. It's uh, Thursday afternoon um, and we're going to be discussing uh, a variety of issues today, but all centred around uh, looking at the idea of a teaching framework or a model, pedagogical model uh, that your school uh, might use um, to uh, keep teachers um, kind of doing the same sorts of things, giving learners a similar experience across your school. So this is quite a um, bit of a controversial one. It can be a bit divisive, um, but we're going to try and dig into a bit of that today. Obviously, as usual, I need your help um, to get in touch, to join the so send me a little text message on the Podbean uh, or indeed call in, click the call in button. And obviously I will take your call and hear what you've got to say. Um, but yeah, well, I'm going to have a, a guest a little bit later on, Ian Tilbury. Um, and he currently working in the school and uh, driving, teaching and learning. And he is going to talk about how he's done that, something similar at his school or the problems he's having with it or the benefits of it. But wh wh whichever way you look at it. Um, it is definitely something worth thinking about. So essentially, just to clarify for, for the listeners, and thank you for joining me uh, today, if you're just tuning in, and what we're talking about, well, let's start with what we're not talking about. I'm not talking about the teaching framework as in uh, the ECT framework or what you might have done as a trainee. We're not looking at, you know, the sections one to four, uh, one to seven, whatever it is anymore, with planning and teacher responsibilities and classroom and professional responsibilities. We're not talking about that framework because that is just one set up to obviously train teachers. But when you in a school and you are already teaching, how far does your school go in being prescriptive about how you should set out your lesson? So you may well just have a few uh, things that you have to do or a few non-negotiable posters up in your rooms that kind of remind you that of to do things in a certain way. Um, you might have certain ways you have to start a lesson. So you may have a do now policy where every member of staff needs to be doing a do now activity. I know that's quite popular, has become more and more popular, um, something to get the kids focused at the beginning when they when they come in, uh, something to get them down to doing something quick, uh, like a five minute activity just to get them going. Often people blend that with some retrieval practice uh, or low stakes test. Now, that's just one example of something that your school, your head teacher or your SLT may be saying to you, right, 
uh, this needs to be seen in every lesson. Now, I'm not sure about primary. I'm talking from secondary here. Primary schools, um, please get in touch. You may do this very differently or you may just say to me, no, Seb, we're exactly in the same position. So what we're looking at really is once we've established that your school has one of these kind of frameworks or models, um, if you do have that, then get in touch, tell me what it looks like. And then also, what are the pros and cons of it? So obviously the argument for it is it gives you more consistency. Uh, it might help teachers who are struggling in the classroom have some sort of framework or format. You could argue it helps students because they get a similar diet across lessons um, and a structure. But of course, the hindrance of it is uh, how far you going down the line of compliance by saying to staff, right, everyone must start with a do now that it's 10 minutes. Everyone must uh, do some sort of retrieval practice. Everybody must end their lessons in a certain way. Everybody must make sure students are standing in a line, whatever you want to call it, whatever, whatever the kind of rules are. And obviously schools are places where you know, rules are abundant, aren't they, for students? But for teachers, do you feel, get in touch, let me know. First of all, do you have a framework like that that's really strict and set out or not? Do you have autonomy just to plan your lessons however you want to, as long as you're covering the course and as long as you're getting good grades, are you left alone? Uh, or has more and more uh, recent research come to light in terms of what works, what's effective uh, from the EEF, and from other organisations that are publishing these, you know, these publications that are coming out about what effective teaching actually is, do does your school kind of respond to that? And is that are they at the cutting edge of that research and thinking, right, well, we need to do this research as it works. Um, let's make sure we're doing it and let's get staff doing it. And this is then where I think the crux of this is, because then you can go from let's say you identify something on the EF, let's just take a random, let's say metacognition, just to pluck one out of the air. And let's say you know that is proven to be effective. Let's say your head teacher says, right, I want all students to do, you know, doing more metacognitive uh, independent thinking in lessons, whatever. Then what happens next? Okay, it's because then you've got a training issue, a CPD issue with people who don't know. You've then got a, a literal a logistics issue of making sure people know what you're expecting and then you've got to monitor it you've got to check it's happening and then the negative side i suppose of all this is how far do you go in terms of pulling stuff up if they're not doing it because ultimately i guess if someone's producing a good lesson and the kids are really learning and are engaged then if you were a leader going in there to say yes it was a great lesson but you didn't put up a certain powerpoint or you didn't do it in a certain set way, then you would risk, I think, upsetting staff or maybe some staff feeling a bit um, annoyed. But again, I am not condoning any of these things. I'm not completely agreeing with any of these things. This is just a subject for debate. Um, so the questions, the key questions we're ask, asking you today on the drive home are, do you have a teaching framework in your school that's set out? I've been to four or five schools in the last couple of years and seen various different ones of this. I've seen some schools with it very rigid. I've seen some schools with rough guidance. I've seen some schools where it's they're looking for a certain four part lesson structure. And as long as within that you are testing and checking, understanding and giving feedback, then it doesn't really matter how you do that, which is obviously kind of a, a golden nirvana of kind of freedom. But then in a struggling school, does that work? Do you need in a school which is, you know, in a in a in RI or inadequate or you know coming out of that that kind of area um 
is that too loose? Does a head teacher need to go in, turn in the school round and say, right, do you know what will work here? Let's have some clear guidelines that staff follow. Because that's, I suppose, the other advantage of it is it gives people something to hang their hat on and their practice, as long as it is based on, you know, research that's been done or it's based on something that we know works um, and isn't just some wacky, you know, kind of idea to to make people do more work. We do not want that. So um, so key questions are, do you have a teaching framework? Yes or no? Get in touch, send me a message um, or call in and tell me. I can see quite a few people have entered the studio today. So I'm not going to read all those names out because actually the font is pretty small. Um, but thank you to those people who just joined us today. Um, good news on that, actually, while we're talking about uh, fonts. Um, is that I seem to be back, my Mac seems to be behaving itself and I'm off the Chromebook. So hopefully today, guys, you'll have a bit of a smoother show than last week. I'm not sure if any of you were listening last week, but I found it a little bit um, challenging, let's say, uh, operating on a Chromebook for the first time. Anyway, I digress. So, um, yeah, so key questions. Do you have a, I'm going to put these in the chat. Uh, do you have a teaching framework? Um and again, not the not the one for trainees, but do you have a pedagogical model model or a teaching framework that you have to stick stick to? I'm going to just pop this in the chat now, so anyone joining us late will know what we're discussing. Um, and the next question is, if you do have one, uh, does it help or hinder creativity in your opinion? Um, how do you give staff autonomy for planning and delivering? Uh, excellent lessons without giving them any sort of common structures that everybody's following or consistency. Um, does that become boring for students if it's all done the same way or does that not matter? Um, does that actually help them if they get a similar structure to the lessons and their expectations across the curriculum? Um, and also, if you have got a teaching framework or if you think you should have one and you don't, what should it look like? Um, because obviously there's lots of different ideas floating around at the moment. Uh, in terms of it, I think everyone would agree in the kind of common things that are out there. If you look at the Rosenstein's principles, for example, it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment. But really, the Rosenstein's principles is not really necessarily saying anything majorly new, uh, anything different to things you might have read in Teach Like a Champion or Accelerated Learning or Make Every Lesson Count. Um, there's some fantastic books over the years that have broke the lessons down into these areas of retrieval and uh, getting kids uh, you know hooked in straight away then you've got you know people who then work on the idea of uh, modeling and explicit instruction you've got all the um, dual coding comes in here and explicit instruction all that kind of stuff that's on the teaching walkthroughs books then you move from that into you know then uh, students trying it and grappling with content and trying to um, demonstrate what they know basically uh, through through application. Some people might call that. I mean, again, these are all the same things. They're all synonyms for the same thing. Um, application, applying, demonstrating what they know, grappling material, trying it out, whether that's writing or uh, singing or mathematics, whatever it is. And then obviously some form of checking of understanding, clearing up misconceptions, feedback, you know, that would be what you'd want. And then obviously a consolidation or a plenary or something at the end. Now, you can argue and cut that up however you want. But essentially, um, they're key, key things that I'd want. Challenge is another one. 
So maybe your school is in a position where, you know, lessons are good, teaching is pretty good, but you want to take it to outstanding. And it might be that challenge is an issue. So would you need necessarily to change the whole teaching framework of your school? Would you need to go around and make sure everybody's doing it? Or with something like challenge, do you think you could possibly just do CPD on, you know, higher order thinking or questioning or activities which are more challenging and have more thinking and thinking hard and stretch than necessarily saying to people, well, you need to do your lesson in this way. So that that would be a debate. So what we're looking at is, do you have a framework, number one? What your opinion of it is? Uh, and if you don't, what, what it should look like or what the best what the best way it could look like. I tweeted something yesterday from John Hattie's Visible Learning book, which wasn't really a teaching framework. I've got, got a few funny comments, but really that was just um, an example of uh, some key principles. Now, from that, that was Visible Learning, uh, John Hattie, where he's talking about how you make sure that you're checking on the learning and, and it's visible, etc. His, his methodology, his ideas for his check, teacher's checklist, I think are brilliant. And actually they could form the basis of a, of a framework. But then again, they're not really ones that you could necessarily separate out into sections of a lesson or we couldn't even really insist on staff using them. They're just, I'm just trying to find my tweet here while I'm talking to you guys. Um, they're just kind of uh, principles and ideas that you that you should kind of be doing um rather than a set way of doing it okay here it is so so in his book he has a personal health check for visible learning which includes uh engaging you've been engaged and passionate students with opportunities for learning off surface and deep um making clear learning intentions and success criteria um having a warm and caring climate getting regular feedback um students being metacognitive knowing what their learning is and that they know what the assessments are, that you can identify progression in different levels and across the curriculum, and that you've got a wide range of teaching strategies in your repertoire, and that use evidence of how those students have learned to plan your next lesson. So uh, those are his, that John Hattie's top, top 10. And again, I would agree with all of those, but would I then necessarily be able to uh, turn that into a kind of rubric that schools have to, that teachers at my school have to do if i said right i want everybody to make sure they've got a warm and caring classroom well how are you going to do that it's, it's not really that enforceable but it could be a key principle that you want all your staff to engage in and therefore you could i suppose you could check it you could go around and see that kids were <laughs> feeling warm and fuzzy i suppose but you'd want to go around and and maybe putting key strategies of you know for behavior or ways that kids students are supported um let's just say picking an example from the sky um pens so it might be that you have a lot of students that are um pp or don't necessarily that don't come equipped to lessons um and in a warm and uh caring classroom climate you might have a teacher that has a box of pens and when a kid needs one you give it out now it might be you have a teacher who doesn't do that and gets into arguments and confrontations because a kid doesn't have a pen and I suppose then you could say that person isn't following your your framework. Anyway, I'm getting into real stupidly granular detail about pens, which I didn't really intend. But what I guess I'm trying to throw out there is this is complicated. There are really, really successful schools that possibly don't have anything as strict as this. There may well be struggling schools that need this. But where do we feel it sits? 
And even if you do agree that there should be one, what should it look like? Um, and I know I'm asking a hard question there, but I'd just be interested in people's feedback or ideas. Um, call in, message me, uh, A, what your experience is now and B, what you think it should be. Or even if you completely disagree, if you're listening and thinking, no, Seb, no, 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 you, you're, you're, you know, teachers should be left alone. They know what they're doing. Trust them. That may be your argument. And that, there may be a lot of time for that. But my my counter argument would also be you've got to think about in systems or schools where, you know, there, there are people struggling or there is those issues. Um, how much would a structure like that, um, however it is enforced, be helpful? But we've got to make sure we're not going down a compliance route. Uh, because for me, I think it's more about CPD and training so that if people aren't using your framework or they don't understand it, then you need to get people trained and get them all bought in uh, before you start saying to people, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? Um, OK, so that that's kind of a bit of context for today. Um, it's just coming up to 20 past four. We're going to have a quick ad break. Don't go away. Um, remember to join the conversation at any time. Um, you can message me on Twitter at Tripitaka74 if you want to join this discussion, or which is which is great if you do that. But um, even better is if you message in the chat in the text function on Podbean, uh, because then I can respond and I can see uh, everyone else can see your comment uh, rather than my little private Twitter world. Um, welcome to all those people listening in. And yes, after the adverts, um, we'll be speaking to Ian Tilbury. And he is, um, I think his role at the moment is assistant or a deputy, one of those. And, and obviously he's got a big, uh, big um, drive on this kind of thing. On, and he's been thinking about how best to do this with his uh, school and with his staff. So I'm going to talk to Ian in a moment, but we'll have a quick ad break first. Don't go away. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. 
Yeah, good, thanks for that. Um, and yes, as I said, we are discussing, if you've just joined us, we're looking at teaching frameworks in schools, how you set up a, a pedagogical model, um, how you get buy-in for that, what it should look like if you do have one, um, and if you don't, how do you how do you monitor that people are doing the right things uh, through normal processes and learning walks and do you not bother with any sort of strict um setup i'm sure there'll be a lot of people weighing in on twitter um later on in this debate um and um but for now we're we're on lot on live on teacher talk radio with me seb on the drive home and we're looking to just get a bit of discussion going with this um and what i also was going to mention well, yeah, so we've got to also think about, are we checking compliance or are we checking effectiveness? Because if you're asking people to set their lesson up in a certain way and then you want to monitor it, we should really be, I think, monitoring how well that that strategy is working as opposed to, you know, beating people up if they, um, well, don't be beating people up, obviously you wouldn't actually beat people up. You know what I mean? Uh, you wouldn't be uh, pulling people up, sorry, on not necessarily doing it um, unless you felt that the lesson was suffering because they weren't following these these guidelines. So do you have a teaching framework? Does it help or hinder creativity? How can you give staff autonomy for planning um, without uh, uh, having a common structure? And does that common structure, and um, where does it come from? What research is it, ba research is it based on? Uh, and what is your vision for how that would work? Um, just um, reacting there a little bit to the to the adverts, um, obviously it is Black History Month and it was interesting uh, just last well this week i went to actually went to the england game with my children at wembley first ever experience of football very excited to take them where i then had to sit and watch hungary fans uh fighting police and i then had to also watch the hungary team not take the knee and um yeah without sort of getting anti-hungarians on the whole show it, it was quite um depressing really and what, but what was interesting was in terms of the, the knee a lot of people debate whether it's a pointless gesture now is it is it does it do anything is there any point but what was interesting they didn't take the knee and um my yes mouse saying that's pretty awful it was I, I was very excited to go and uh, watch the game for the first time with my kids and we had to see that but anyway um yeah, they didn't. The, the Hungarian team didn't take the knee, and um, it was interesting because then my my son said, well, "Why aren't they doing that?" So actually, when people say that they're taking the knee doesn't um, do anything, it's interesting because when they didn't, I had to then have that discussion about, okay, well, obviously they don't support this concept. Maybe they're um, some of the players don't believe in it. Maybe they're maybe they're racist. Maybe they're not. But it did. Um, about it, particularly as there was Google, you know, Google adverts all around the Wembley Stadium saying, you know, advertising Google, but saying, why do we take the knee? Uh, and then, you know, to, to end racism, whatever. So there was a message clearly going there that then the the, the Hungarian players weren't following. Anyway, that's a bit of a sideline, but I just thought it's funny how, you know, these things all tie in together and, um, and how, how important education is. And even something as simple as, you know, players taking the knee or not taking the knee can can raise discussion and debate, which is, you know, something we need to do around this issue. Um, OK, so sorry, I digress a little bit there, but that was just because the news reminded me of that story. So um, thanks for Mal for joining us there. So in a little while, uh, probably about a few minutes time, um, Ian will be joining me. Um, I know Ian's probably either on his way home in his car um, or he's about to leave work. So Ian, if you're listening, just whenever you're ready, whenever it's a good time, 
just uh, click the call in button. But in the meantime, um, yes, we're, we're discussing teaching frameworks, the limitations of them, the benefits of them. Um, do you use Rosenstein's principles? Do you use visible learning uh, ideas? Do you have four part lesson structures or do you have anything like that in your school that is kind of a non-negotiable that your school tells you you have to follow? And if you do, do you think they're effective? Or are you in the camp of thinking that these things hinder creativity and that teachers should have the autonomy to plan however they want to, as long as they get good results and as long as they know their teaching is being effective, um, how much should we as a profession engage with these concepts? And I, th I think we know that we have a responsibility to engage with research, but if the model that your school is using is research informed, that's great, ticks that box. But again, does it work for your school? Does it work for your context? Uh, do teachers understand uh, fully what those concepts are? It's all very well saying to people do more AFL, but do actually people know what that looks like? Do they know the strategies? Do they know how to use it? Um, so I still think a lot of this is to do with development of staff and support rather than a kind of uh, system of compliance and, and punitive measures if teachers don't follow a sort of set code or a set format with their PowerPoint. But again, you know, <laughs> sitting on the fence, maybe you might think, but I'm not. I can, can see the both sides to this. If you're a head teacher and you want to get some form of consistency going in a school that's struggling, it might be that having these clear, um, you know, clear formats to lessons that teachers have to use or a certain something on their PowerPoint, it may seem silly and small, but actually that might be something that you need all staff to buy into in order to shift move your school forward in the right direction it's easy if your school is successful to look on those things and maybe mock them or look down and, and see them as limited but i think you've got to remember obviously there's a lot of schools that aren't in that fortunate position and sometimes you know having a framework a teaching framework that staff follow can actually be very helpful so there's lots of pros and cons there's lots of arguments for and against and that's why i thought this would be a really good discussion point today um to throw out there um you know about this so key questions if you've just are do you have a teaching framework does it help or hinder creativity how do you give staff autonomy for planning without a common structure and if you don't have a teaching framework what should it look like in your opinion should you have one and do you think that would benefit your staff so as always um give me a call click uh, click um on the podbean on the podbean app you need to click call in um, and that will link you directly to the studio. This is a live show, remember, not a recording unless you're listening back after. Um, so, yeah, well, I'm open for anyone to call in from anywhere around the world and join this debate. What is this like in other countries? If you're listening from somewhere outside the UK, um, do you have these, these sort of, do, are these a big thing abroad or are, are they big things in other schools? Or do you, are you listening to me thinking, well, we don't have anything like that. We just We just get on with it. I know if you think back in time, my father was a teacher and he, he would he would say, oh, a load of nonsense, let me get on with it. Um, and even some of the accountability measures that came in in the early 2000s and, and the way that teachers are now under so much scrutiny, he was very dismissive of it and said, you know, come on, let me just do my job. And I remember when I first started teaching, trying to say to him, yeah, but we do need to be accountable, we're transparent. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely way all these kind of things just add more pressure to teachers, um, even if they're done with the right intention. You know, do you really want a teacher spending three hours 
um, tweaking a PowerPoint when they could be just planning some great lessons or Mark doing some great um, feedback in books or, or, or even just, you know, doing something for their own well-being. But, you know, there is an argument that these things do help and they do give a common consistency and they do help students. I mean, it shouldn't be done. We're not talking about doing this for Ofsted. We're talking about doing this for your teachers. So they've got a framework that they can use um, to help best, you know, get the students the best lessons. Um, and therefore, because we're not really doing it as a, you know, a, a exercise of just we better do this uh, in case we get offsteaded. When this is not that case, so therefore, there's no there's no kind of statutory uh, expectation that schools have this. But wonder if someone being expected will look be looked down on if if their school didn't have any sort of clear pedagogical model or not. I suppose if the lessons are great and the data is great. And the kids are happy then i guess it doesn't really matter does it but anyway maybe you need these things to get you to that stage but i'll be interested to hear what people have got to say um my guest ian today is going to join in quite shortly um, we'll have a quick news break and um and then we'll we'll carry on thanks don't go away this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news with tom hopkins burke This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio news with Tom Hopkins Burke. A coalition of 118 members of Parliament and Lords has urged Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi to reverse the government's decision to scrap most BTECs. The group sent a letter to Zahawi to support the Protect Student Choice campaign, asking the government to rethink plans outlined in its Level 3 Qualifications Review. The Department for Education has argued that the over 12,000 Level 3 and below courses offers a confusing landscape to young people, as it introduces a twin-track system of A-levels and T-levels from 2023. The DfE has also admitted that defunding these qualifications would hit students from disadvantaged backgrounds the hardest. Children's Commissioner Dame Rachel D'Souza has told the House of Lords that last week's universal credit cut should be reversed to cut child poverty. D'Souza told the Lords that the £20 per week universal credit uplift should be reinstated for families receiving the child component of the benefit. The Commissioner also recommended an auto-enrolment system for free school meals and for children from families with no recourse to public funds to be allowed free school meals on a permanent basis. The Children's Commissioner's Office has revealed that around 70% of vulnerable children are in receipt of free school meals and that well over 4 million UK children live in poverty. A Lincoln Primary School has warned parents against letting their children watch the hit Netflix show Squid Game. Squid Game, which has an age rating of 15, sees hundreds of contestants take part in children's games for a cash prize, but with a literally deadly twist. So Francis Hill Community Primary School told parents that some pupils were reenacting scenes from the show during playtime. The school has called for parents to put parental locks on devices to ban access to shows of this nature for their children. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio news with Tom Hopkins Burke. Thanks, Tom. Um, oh, some very interesting stories in there. One of, one of the things I love about doing Teachers Talk Radio, actually, is getting my news in my weekly news bulletin because uh, I'm not always, well, I'm not able to really get the the tears newspaper well i could get it but i just i just don't really have the chance to get it to read it to look through it as often as i would like 
Um, and so, and I don't really watch TV news as much as I used to, because uh, I don't really watch much TV anymore, which is weird. But anyway, um, one thing I do love is um, is catching up on some of the news stories when I do my show on a Thursday. So two things there that jumped out at me, actually. One was the BTEC thing, which I can kind of weirdly understand it because it is a bit of a minefield, all the vocational qualifications, the different names, even BTEC courses. You've got there's about six different names. Uh, national Diploma, First Diploma, National MBQ Diploma. There's so many names. I think it's very confusing if you were to look at it externally. But having said that, BTECs themselves are great qualifications, which really, really help, especially those vocational learners. In terms of subjects like drama, for example, I know that they have been very, very powerful qualifications. So I've taught kids that have really, really benefited from doing more practical uh, learning. So I would definitely not be up for getting rid of them. Um, but obviously, if they're going to replace them with T levels, um, then, you know, as long as there's some vocational equivalent, I can see it. But but I can see the outcry, I, I, you know, if they just get rid of them all together, then that is, that is a nightmare. You need to have a variety of courses out there for students to pick. Otherwise, we're just narrowing their chances even more. Second story there, which I have to comment on is Squid Game. Um, having watched this myself with my son, who is 13, so... Um, you know, a little bit below the age range. But obviously, as a parent, I made that decision. Um, he has watched other 15s, but it was pretty, pretty close to the bone, pretty knuckle riding stuff uh, in terms of the violence and stuff. And it's just a hard, it's more like a, a classic Korean or South Korean like film, like old boy, um, but just quite not quite like the 18. So I can I think it's a great program. It's really dystopian. I really enjoy it. Uh, I like the fact my son's watching a, a language film, a subtitled film. Uh, subtitle program but uh, why on earth the primary schools watching it i have no idea i mean i would be terrified if i had a child who was that young that was accessing it because it's it's too graphic way 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 too graphic whether you agree with censorship or not you you shouldn't have uh you shouldn't have kids of that age discussing programs and how have they even done it it's on netflix presumably those parents are just giving them phones maybe with netflix and they're not not savvy about it um, and this is one of the big issues, I think, with devices is you can put locks on it. You can do all these different things. But if a parent is not savvy enough to understand, you know, that a kid can log on quite quickly to Netflix with an account and start seeing stuff they shouldn't, then really you need to just have a look, a look at yourself. But um, but anyway, that was um, an interesting one, that news story, because I, I do really like the programme, but I can see why. It's causing a bit of a furore, shall we say. Right, so just to get back on task now after my news um, uh, news segue, um, we're looking at today on the drive home, so do get in touch. We're looking at the teaching framework, not the actual teaching framework. Uh, we're looking at a teaching framework. And my guest today is Ian Tilbury. And Ian, I think, is just joining us now. Ian, are you there? I am there, Seb. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, Ian. I can't hear you so well, but it's okay. I think I can. So you have to okay, speak. I'll go a little bit closer to the mic, if that's helpful. Um, okay, well, how are you doing, Ian? What, what school are you at at the moment? I'm at the Ashley Cooper School in Hemel Hempstead. Right, and okay, that's good. And what is your role at the moment there? I'm de Deputy Head, Teaching okay, and Learning a Curriculum and Assessment. Excellent. So obviously you you know you agreed you agreed to join on today um because you felt sort of passionately about this area. Yeah. Um I'm not sure have you been listening to the rest of the show? Yeah, I listened to a bit of it. I was I'm driving, so I caught a little bit and I took a call, but 
Yeah, I heard what, yeah. a lot of what you said. Okay, great. So um, if we kick off with then, you know, what you think about it and we can sort of debate it from there and uh, maybe other people will join us. So first of all, have you got a teaching framework at your current school or are you setting one up? No, we, we think, well, we've, we've begun the process of setting one up. Um, so where I currently am, um, teaching is really good. You know, lots of people are doing some really good things, but there doesn't seem to be you know, and everybody admits to this, not a, a huge amount of consistency across across the board. Um, mm -hmm. So therefore, staff have been very good at thinking and talking to me about, OK, maybe we should have some consistency so that we can talk to each other about teaching in a more right. productive, a more productive way. Because I think, you know, having visited lots of schools and done lots of outreach work, whether you have a framework or whether you don't, you will have a culture in your classrooms across the school um, yeah. whether you like it or whether you don't because people talk in staff rooms people obviously have line management meetings different departments will do things differently um, so therefore you, you get socialised into a way of teaching whether you like it or whether you don't so, having a, yeah. so having a framework there um, allows you to sort of script that narrative a little bit yeah, no, that is, that's an interesting point so I didn't, I didn't think of that earlier when, when I was talking about this was the idea of a a common language. Uh, I mean, we did. I did talk a little bit about consistency, which I covers that. But the idea of a culture that is grown from, you know, conversations that people have, which you can't necessarily, as a head, control, can you? That that's just natural social social interactions, isn't it? Yeah, you can't control it, but you can. I think you you should try to control it to a point, you know, because mm -hmm. you want people talking about the right you know i know you mentioned earlier about if you have a teaching and learning framework what should be in it and i think the opportunity cost of people just talking about anything is too high you know yeah. people should be talking about what is likely to have the biggest impact on learning so yeah if you're not talking about formative assessment why aren't you yeah, no, I agree. And and that's the issue that I said earlier that I think, you know, you could have a very high performing school uh, or traditionally high performing school and, and get away with certain things. But if your if your school needs, you know, needs improvement, which obviously most schools do, um, yeah. then 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 you need to look at what's going to work effectively and quickly, I suppose. Well, yeah. And also, I think things move really quickly. You know, mm -hmm. our understanding of how students learn is moving rapidly. Um, you know, new stuff that's coming out of cognitive science, um, educational research, you know, what works now may not be what works in the future, or at least yeah. our understanding of what works may be different in the future. And that's even without taking into consideration, you know, changes to the accountability framework, change, you know, I mean, COVID, for example, has shown that, you know, anything can happen. Um, and therefore, I think you have to constantly be looking to innovate and change so that um, students get a really good deal. But do you, But I, I agree with that in terms of uh, research and new things coming in. But do you also not think that there is um, a, a we've got a body of kind of evidence, if you like, now for the last 10 to 20 years, whatever you want to call it, that certain common things are coming up time and time again and in order, if I was to create a, a framework for my for a school tomorrow, I know there are some definite ones I'd want to put in there. Yeah, without so, doubt. You know, 
So do you think that schools, sh you know, it, they should be, it should be something that people push more to have a common framework, or do you think it's too restrictive to have that um, for, for teachers' autonomy? Um, I don't think it has to be restrictive, but I do think that has, because I think you should have freedom within a framework. And the reason for that is, so if, if you know, without second guessing what you'd have said, we know that questioning, for example, if you get that right, you're going to really improve the teaching. Sorry, we, really improve yeah, your we lost, we lost you a little. And students. Yeah, look, we lost, we lost you a bit there, Ian. Sorry, do you want to just say Sorry, that last bit uh, again? We just lost you for a sec. Yeah, yeah. so without preempting and thinking about what you said in terms of what would you put in a framework, we would put in great assessment for learning pedagogies. Right. So questioning. Yeah. So for example, you know, having students peer assess and self-assess and know the success criteria um, and become assessment savvy, that would be an aim for any framework in any school. Doesn't matter whether yeah. it's high performing or whether it's in special measures. Yeah. We know yeah. that if we improved our questioning, students would learn at a deeper level. Yeah, of um, course. Now, a framework allows and helps teachers to change their habits to make that better. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess that's why I think that's you're right. I think you um, the whole idea of a framework by the definition is that you may have guidelines, might you? But we're not saying be too prescriptive because then I think we get into a dangerous territory of, you know, all lessons looking the same, people's creativity being restricted. Uh, and all of that kind of stuff, don't we? Whereas a framework suggests, you know, rough rough ideas that you can, you must stick within, kind of thing. Yeah, totally. And I think, I don't think a framework should be ideologically driven. So, and what I mean by that is that, you know, if it's scripted lessons and scripted questions, that doesn't allow for what happens in everyday classrooms, which is students come in with different understanding of things and different experiences and teachers have to be responsive to those given yeah absolutely you know i would teach you know I'm, i know this is my own experience but i would teach a year 11 on a last thing on a friday very different than i teach year seven on a wednesday middle of the day yeah you know, you'd yeah. have to and therefore if you had a very rigid framework that was very driven by the by you know a, a scheme of work or a curriculum map that you can't miss that lesson out or you can't go off on a tangent yeah i, I think you would be impoverishing the experience that students have and you would be taking away that professional autonomy that teachers need yeah. and have and they're, they're professionals for a reason i i so, I, I agree with that Ian. but i think that it goes even deeper than that that i think if you're expecting teachers to follow a curriculum now because of obviously the, the demands from Ofsted to make sure everybody's on the same route and that's then published to parents and blah, blah, blah. I get that. But in terms of micro detail, if you're going to say to me Friday period six, to use your example, yeah, I have to start with a retrieval practice or I have to do this or I have to make sure there's an element of feedback in every lesson, you know, that's where I think it becomes problematic when you're trying to have something too set in stone that, you know, if the best will in the world, you're not going to be able to fit in because you're, like you say, you've got to be responsive to the kids, haven't you? Well, totally. And I mean, I've, I've observed um, 
teachers and one department in particular where you would go into four different classrooms and they would be on the same slide on their PowerPoint almost to the minute. Yeah. And that, yes. can't be, that can't be possible because you've got 30 different children across, you know, in four different classrooms. I, I just don't see that's to me, that's that's teaching by numbers. You know, it's you can't mm -hmm. possibly have that if the teacher is being responsive to the students in front of them. Because if you're being responsive yeah. to what the students, are, let alone their moods and their their energy levels and all of that, which you can't really quantify, you can only sense. Yeah. They yeah, no, I, different, but, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't have four different classes of varying abilities and have them on the same point within the same two or three minutes. It's just not, in my opinion, no, it's no. just not. But, it's not possible. But the flip side to that is that some people, some heads of department or, or some curriculum leaders may may find what you've discovered as, as delightful. They may be really chuffed to go in and see four, four classes doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing in terms of lesson three of a, you know, topic and yeah. see that uh, that consistency is something positive, you know, as opposed to, I get what you're saying, but you know, that might be seen as something good. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally see. Uh, yeah. And I think some people do see that as a good thing. And I think there's, a, you have to get commonality and equality between classes. You know, you should yeah, be teaching yeah. the same things. But that being said, they will be going at different paces. I can't yeah. see how they, how they can't. Just as in your class, you don't expect every single student to get every single concept or every bit of knowledge that you teach them at the same rate. It's just yeah. not... It's yeah, I, I know, I know. I know. I mean, I went into a lesson the other day and the teacher was, I, I was, I was asked to go and see if everyone was at the right point in the curriculum. And I went in and the teacher teaching the lesson and he, he was, it was a year seven lesson and he was one lesson or one week behind where he yeah. should have been. So I was a bit like, oh God, I'm going to have to go and tell someone that he's not at the right point. But then when I questioned him, he said, oh, we had GL, GL assessments in the first week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so, so everything's been shunted back. And I was like, well, okay, that, that, you know, that makes sense. But I think your point about flexibility, that, that's what I find fascinating about this is, you know, that framework, how, how rigid is it or how loose is it in terms of teachers? Because I agree with what you said at the beginning of the call, and Ultimately, there are things like questioning, feedback, medical, you know, there are key things that... You know, should be done should be done well, whatever the wherever the schools at. But how do you then sort of make sure people are you know make you just kind of check that teachers are using these ideas um, without? I mean, you could do learning walks, can't you, to find out? But and, unless you say right, I want to see this kind of thing in every lesson, and it's it's going in this kind of order, and these are the these are the ingredients that we want you to follow. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, you know. Okay, let's decouple monitoring from development. So, if as a school, and, and I think it, where I'm, where I am at the moment, um, we've done it in a kind of a, a democratic way, and that is that everybody has shared their system of teaching, and we've looked for commonality across everybody. Yeah. Um, but we've then sort of also said that each school has its unique context. So, you know, uh, reading, for example, is an, is a is something that the school wants to to focus on and the reason they want to focus on it and it's right is because 
the students' reading levels are quite low. So therefore, mm-hmm. that can't be done just through English. It's got to be done in every single lesson. Not yeah. necessarily every single lesson, every period no, no, every but, day. Yeah, but across but the curriculum. Yeah. If we want to optimise students' abilities to read and read effectively, you would want to do it across every single lesson, every single subject. And it just like you wouldn't expect to go into a history lesson in the same school as an English lesson and see that the history teacher hasn't challenged the student to take their hoodie off, but in the English lesson they do, or... Yes, yes. You know, so therefore you would ex- you would hope and think that in order to get some sort of commonality, then you would be teaching reading in a similar, not necessarily identical, but a similar way. Yeah. It helps students learn. Yeah, no, I, I so, agree. You so know, what, just, what... As, just as we support each other with behaviour and with expectations um you would do that in terms of how how do we approach reading together and how do you know you might have lots of different techniques to do that but if there is commonality students get used to doing that um yeah. and become better at doing it so yeah that's what i was going to say i think that that is one of the va- advantages to having something a common framework isn't it that you know it does it doesn't have to be boring but i think no. if, stu- if students are getting used to that structure of okay i need this is how this is what constructive feedback look this is how i respond to assessments you know th- this is what retrieval practice is then they are going to do better because you know sometimes they're going from one lesson to another and getting completely random all the subjects are very different already so it's not like you know they need they need to have some consistency yeah um, i think I, I think so and like i i think even the, the consistency around that language so you know, everybody, I think every teacher across the land does a, does a, does a starter, you know, they come yeah, in and they, yeah. start, they start on something by definition. And where, where I'm Ashley Cooper, we've said, okay, let's use the language of do now. Yeah. And whether we pick do now or connect or starter, I don't think really matters. But no, the fact that students come in and there's a, there is a settling activity to do now because they know that that is an expectation that they will start work very, very quickly. Yeah, that yeah. helps. That helps everybody. That helps teachers. That it helps does. students. But also, yeah, what it allows you to do is, I think, then as a staff to say, right, what do we want our do now activities to concentrate to look on? Like, focus yeah, on. yeah. And some people have, you know, rightly said, look, some of this is retrieval practice. You know, what did you do last week, last term, last month? Other people have said, well, at times, I just want a really interesting, thought-provoking question. Other times it's like, okay, we want something that, that, that is totally different to what the lesson's going to be. And mm. that's and that's okay. But the fact that we do that for five five minutes just gets every student used to coming in and looking, I know it sounds silly, but looking at the board. No, but that's, but that, this is, I mean, the do now is a, it's a really good example. I'm glad you brought that up. And anybody else listening to me and Ian here, if, if you if you do do nows in your school, I, I, do you like them? Are they successful? Get in touch. Um, I think do now is a really, really good example because I remember seeing a geography teacher a few years back um, doing do nows. And it was the first time I'd seen a startup be called a do now. Yeah. So I was very intrigued thinking, what what is this? And effectively, it was just a starter. But this was a settling activity as opposed to a connect phase you know, she wasn't trying to hook the kids in. This was a quick, right, I want you to do this five-minute written task just to get them to calm down and settle down. And I remember seeing it thinking, oh, that's a bit 
do now. It's a bit aggressive. It's a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I didn't really like it. And I wasn't sure how that was going to work. But, but that was because it really was only her doing it. And I thought this was her own idea. Now that I'm more used to it and I see it across schools all over the place, and I do see it done badly, but I have to say I also see it done quite well. I can see the value of kids going, right, okay, this is something I'm just going to get on with to get my pens out and to get ready for the learning, you know. So, yeah, again, again, it's banana-rama principle really, isn't it? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think he's totally banana-rama. And, you know, I've seen it in my daughter's book. You know, she's in year seven now and she comes and, and they've put do now. You know, and I think it's almost, it's not, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not quite an industry standard, but I think it is very common. It's not far off. I, I bet you any money, if we did a survey, I might even do that tonight on Twitter, of, you know, how many people use do now. So I, I reckon it's going to be high. I reckon it's going to be very high. I mean, I don't know about, you know, secondary or both or what, but um, but get in touch if you, if you agree or disagree with me and Ian on the do nows. Um, what was I going to say? So, okay, so finally, really, to wrap this up really, Ian, I yeah. guess what I would want to know is when when I posed this question for the show today to my listeners was we were asking people what would it look like. So can you give me what you think it would look like? What a, a good framework would look like? Or, or yeah. key things. I mean, the more the more I've I've done I've done these sorts of things with a number of different schools now, and for me, the framework is I, it, it comes back to the, to be honest, it comes back to the accelerated learning cycle in in one way, shape, or form. So. It will always be, and, and when I've done this with stuff, it's always a cycle. So it's yeah. always some input from the teacher, some yeah. some some practice, some demonstration from students, and some yeah. consolidation. And I don't think it matters whether it's when, when you look at like Rosenshine's principles that are a bit of the zeitgeist at the moment. Yeah, totally. That's, yeah, that's all. That's really when you when you bring it down to it, that's it. You yeah. know, um, it's it's a four five part process system yeah. of students trying something out whether that's student input whether that's teacher input reading writing whatever it is a video of music whatever it is input trial it out practice it check that knowledge check that understanding move on or consolidate yeah, yeah. And, Feed, feedback or consolidate yeah, and, yeah. Well, you know it's as simple and, and as complicated as that really Within but that is it but that yeah go on sorry carry on within that i think one of the things that, that I'm quite a big believer in is it's the quality in nature. What do, you know, quality, you want how much they learn and the nature is, is how they get there. And yeah. do you want students sat in rows being told and then practicing or do you want student participation? And I think it's a combination of both. You know, you, Absolutely. Want, them reading, you yeah. want them reading, but you want them speaking a lot, actively involved in talking to other students. Mm -hmm. And it could be a flow throughout a lesson, a scheme of work, a unit, a key stage, a whole career that you want them doing all of that. Um, so if there's a framework, it's those things. Yeah, no, I agree. It's been, what I love there is where Ian's use of the phrase, uh, it's as simple as it is complicated, because I, I think that hits the nail on the head, because when we talk about it in this way, it makes it sound like, and we've both been teaching a long time, uh, it makes it sound like it's simple, but actually it is a simple message. But to actually get those components right at the right level of complexity in, for the class you've got in front of you, that is the, the craft of teaching, I guess. It, yeah. It's not... And that's why I think with these frameworks, they're good to guide, they're good to get to consistency, they're good to help novices maybe pin things on. But ultimately, you know, it's again, 
from from doing your craft and you're knowing your subject as well that you've got to then have that freedom within that to do the activities that you know will get the best out of the students yeah totally agree totally and, right yeah go on yeah no i i agree i mean what's really interesting is i was having a conversation with with a, a, a teach first ect today and she, she's trying to formulate her head her educational philosophy yeah. Um, and she has said she keeps changing her mind as she talks to different people. <laughs> yeah, of and, course. And I think, I think that's, and I said, look, my educational philosophy next year in terms of teaching may be slightly different than it is now. Mm. And I think that's right. But the, the fundamentals will be, and I sort of like borrow this from, from John Hattie, is that know the impact that you're having. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Where, where, and wherever you're at at that point. And I do worry slightly for, you know, younger, you know, fresh to the career, ECTs, ambitious people that are naturally hard on themselves because they're not doing it perfectly already. And, you know, that, that temptation to go, well, well I'm going to get this, and I'm going to sort it and I'm going to be good at it. And then it feels like everybody, especially at the moment, you've got blogs, you've got Twitter, you've got shows like this, books, uh, but, journals, yeah, you've you got so much out there that you can very you never get, confuse people, can't you? Really, you really can. And I'm teaching year seven for the first time in about six or seven years. And um, I'm loving it. But you never get any good at teaching because you can always get better. <laughs> of course. Well, that's Dylan William, isn't it? You see, it that's Dylan you know, William all over. Yeah. Like, you, you're con like, every time I finish a lesson, I know it's not about me, we're talking about frameworks, I think, how could I have done that? just a little bit better but i also take that that bit worked really well and sometimes yeah. it surprises me i think i didn't think that was going to work and actually it really has because i've looked at their books i've talked to them on the way out i've talked to them in the playground and they've said sir i, I now know that you know but that's but that's the that's the the joy and the frustration of teaching isn't it that, yeah. that you can you can do something every week for six weeks do an assessment and they don't get any of it and yeah. then you go home thinking you can't do your job and then you can teach something once and ask them a few years later and they still remember that lesson and you're like yes. well what what yes. was it i did that day that that managed to stick but like you said at the beginning of the calling it's complicated because you've got 30 kids from different backgrounds different contexts that's always changing because society is always changing as well yeah, and technology yeah. so you're, you're constantly going to move the goalposts are moving plus the government blah 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 but i think what we've got to go away from this conversation people listening is not to feel like it's so complicated we can't do it, but that there are some quick wins and that maybe a framework helps you get there um, in and a sort of cons you. consistent way. I think it really helps you talk to other teachers and, th and that's, that's, that's the joy to me. Or, and, right. the, and, yeah. and the good thing yeah. about a framework is that if you have a common language of learning, you're on the same page. Yeah, true. Yeah, that is true. Okay, well, I think that's a good good place to end that, Ian. That, that's not a, a not a debate that we're ever going to finish necessarily, but I think that's a good summary. Um, thanks for your time. I hope you're driving safe and uh, your hands you. free. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and join us again, and good luck with everything in your new school. Hands free, yeah. Cheers, Seb. Take it easy. Take, take care. See you, Ian. Bye now. Bye. Uh, let's just make sure that Ian um, is off there um, before we. Um, there we go. Let's get, you are going to get rid of you now. Bye bye. Right, we got rid of him. Uh, <laughs> so great, great, interesting, really lovely talking to Ian there. Some really interesting debates. If you now want to respond because you've been sitting listening um, 
patiently and you didn't want to call in and interrupt. I completely understand that. Um, I did feel we had to give Ian a bit of time to really get into the grips of what he was saying. Um, but now that he's gone, uh, we've got a nice uh, chunk of time still left on the show for you to call in and win yourself a Teachers Talk radio mug, which if you press the call in button and speak to me um, today, uh, you will get that posted out to you. Um, so that's your motivation. If you needed any more motivation to call me. Um, but yeah, now that now that Ian's gone, we can digest everything he said. We can have a think about it. We can agree or disagree um, because obviously Teacher Talk Radio is all about discussion, debate, uh, diversity, uh, difference of opinion. Um, and again, with teaching, there isn't always really any uh, necessary um, right answer. But I think what we're beginning to find as a profession is there are certainly some things that are showing evidence to be effective. And those are the things that you've got to focus on. So some things that Ian came out with, there are some classic quotes from Ian. Um, you know, he talked a little bit about decoupling and monitoring from development, which I really like that idea. Um, and also he talked a bit about teaching being as complex as it is basic, which I think is a great quote. Get that on a T-shirt, Ian, and get that on Amazon, I reckon. Um, so, yeah, obviously there are, there are implications from all of this that we've talked about today with training, with, with, with ECTs, with people's careers and expectations, and also creating a climate for learning. Because one thing that Ian mentioned earlier that I hadn't thought of is the idea of how a school culture how a school culture grows and it develops from not just the CPD that you receive or, or the kids that you've got or the teachers, but also the, the key messages, conversations people have in the corridor and the staff room and all those kind of things that people talk about that shape what expectations are like at your school. Um, and again, you know, I've, I've heard from some people on Twitter saying they're in toxic environments or they want to move schools. You know, that I, I'm, you know, a million percent agree with that. If, if I've been fortunate, very fortunate, that I've, I've worked in really, really supportive schools. Um, but I know that isn't always the case. So I've been able to be in schools where people talking about teaching and learning is just normal. And um, certainly, uh, you know, Ian's an ex-colleague of mine when we worked together a long time ago. You know, it, we would not be ashamed to be talking about teaching and learning from morning, morning till night. And it may seem a bit bit sad and we did talk about other things but i think if you've got a culture there where where staff are open get good training good development uh you know latest research etc then it should really allow you to have those conversations um but if people for example are in a school where it's very mixed messages or confusing or no one really knows what way the school's going then again that's where these things can creep in inconsistencies and people misunderstand misconceptions uh, lethal mutations it's called uh, when of which i've seen in teaching walkthroughs book where you take an idea let's say you want to teach about i don't know the socratic questioning and uh you do a quick insight on it and uh people sort of get it but you don't really do it very well and then people start trying to use it and they think well i better do it because i'm going to get checked and they don't do it right and then it just mutates into something completely different to what it's actually supposed to be and then a bit of an issue with time because we're all busy, busy bees. Right, we're a week, um, well, some of you may be a, a week away from half term. Some of you may not. Um, I know I have got, um, certainly got one more week left. So I will be not necessarily counting the days. That sounds a bit negative, but I certainly will be looking forward to a, a week of recharge, which I'm sure everybody else is. Um, for many of us, we've just got to get through another week. 
um, probably doing assessments, maybe tying up loose ends of whatever you've been teaching this term. And then it's time to switch off, unwind and relax. Obviously, Teach Talk Radio will still be in operation over half term. So if you find that your way of relaxing is to listen to uh, my show or any of the other shows, we will still be on. So it might be that you you want to unwind from teaching, but you still want to, um, you know, be be connected in some way. So we are always going to be here or not. If you want to just turn it off and um, put yourself in a sauna, I completely understand as well. So we're going to have a quick news break, um, just a quick one, and then we'll be back and um, we'll carry on this debate and we'll see if anybody else out there uh, has a teaching framework or disagrees with it or wants to call in and join the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Tom Hopkins Burke. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Tom Hopkins Burke. A coalition of 118 members of Parliament and Lords has urged Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi to reverse the government's decision to scrap most BTECs. The group sent a letter to Zahawi to support the Protect Student Choice campaign, asking the government to rethink plans outlined in its Level 3 qualifications review. The Department for Education has argued that the over 12,000 Level 3 and below courses offers a confusing landscape to young people, as it introduces a twin-track system of A-levels and T-levels from 2023. The DfE has also admitted that defunding these qualifications would hit students from disadvantaged backgrounds the hardest. Children's Commissioner Dame Rachel D'Souza has told the House of Lords that last week's universal credit cut should be reversed to cut child poverty. D'Souza told the Lords that the £20 per week universal credit uplift should be reinstated for families receiving the child component of the benefit. The Commissioner also recommended an auto-enrolment system for free school meals and for children from families with no recourse to public funds to be allowed free school meals on a permanent basis. The Children's Commissioner's Office has revealed that around 70% of vulnerable children are in receipt of free school meals and that well over 4 million UK children live in poverty. A Lincoln Primary School has warned parents against letting their children watch the hit Netflix show Squid Game. Squid Game, which has an age rating of 15, sees hundreds of contestants take part in children's games for a cash prize, but with a literally deadly twist. So Francis Hill Community Primary School told parents that some pupils were reenacting scenes from the show during playtime. The school has called for parents to put parental locks on devices to ban access to shows of this nature for their children. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Tom Hopkins-Burke. Thanks, Tom. Uh, lovely to hear your voice. Um, I know we normally have Megan or Gail, but Tom has, Tom has stepped back into the breach. Tom is one of our original uh, newsreaders right from the beginning we started Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, so nice to hear Tom's voice on the news again. Uh, so, yeah, just checking in to the... Teacher Talk Radio Twitter, interesting to see that uh, we're still just shy of 8,000 followers. So again, if you don't already follow us on Teacher Talk Radio at TT Radio 2021 on Twitter, please do so right this second. Uh, and if you are already on there, please uh, let your friends know, retweet and like everything we send out uh, because it will be brilliant. We can break through the 8,000 followers barrier 
um, because that is fantastic, as well as all the great listeners. So a quick shout out for uh, shows coming up later while we're on the subject. Um, I think Kate Jones is on holiday at the moment. Um, I think the last time I looked, she's having a couple of weeks break. So maybe in Abu Dhabi, they have um, different holidays to us. But I know she's posting pictures of her um, a surrounding environment, looking, making me very jealous. So she's probably not on tomorrow. But I know today we've got after this, uh, we should have uh, Leanne should be on straight after me. Um, that's Leanne Lacks with The Twilight Show at six. So if you're just tuning in uh, and you missed the beginning of my show, don't worry. You can go onto Spotify or go on the Podbean app, download the show as a podcast and listen to it all again and listen to all the debate and discussion I've been having with Ian Tilbury. Um, but yes, if, you, if you're just tuning in or you're settling in for the night, you've got Leanne with The Twilight Show at six. And then later on, it should be either Genevieve or Holly. And later on tonight at 10 is the lovely Stacey, um, who has her late, late show tonight. So plenty more content coming your way. Different topics, different uh, opinions, left, right and centre. Um, as always, we are open for your calls. Um, get in touch. Click the call in button if you want to join uh, the show. Um, Mal saying, wait till I get to Spain. So Mal is also uh, uh, one of our radio hosts who's having a few weeks break. Uh, again, very, very jealous. Actually, while we mention this, it's a good point. If I've got any regular listeners, um, I can see I've got quite a few people in the studio at the moment. So thank you, actually. Thank you for joining me today. Um, if I've got any regular listeners that listen to me reg every week, um, I won't be here next week. I've got a few different bits and bobs to sort out um, that I've unfortunately fallen on a Thursday and I've, I've tried to jiggle it around, but I can't. So I will have to miss the show, but I will be back uh, bigger and better than ever straight after that. Uh, the run up to Christmas. So um, don't think of me being anywhere exotic because I won't be. Um, although obviously quite a few people are and I don't blame you. So actually, let's um, that would be quite a good uh, little discussion to have, wouldn't it? For the latter part of this show um, would be anyone get in touch with where you are going. So we've got Mal in Spain. Um, I heard another teacher today talking about going to Paris next week. Um, so lucky, lucky her. Um, and yeah, so let us know. Are, are you getting abroad? Are the restrictions? I don't even know what the restrictions are anymore. Is it all totally back to normal or do you need to have evidence of double jabbed? I, I've literally no idea because I've, at the moment going away is not something high on my agenda. So let me know. Um, thank you, Gemma's joining us there. Um, if you're going away, that will be a lovely way to finish the show. Pop it in the text or give me a call in. Um, have you managed to book a holiday abroad or somewhere in England for the half term? Maybe you're going somewhere more local. Maybe you're going, I don't know, Centre Parks or somewhere, a, a small kind of English break. Uh, or maybe you are lucky enough to be going abroad and getting some sun or some different culture. So let me know um, if you are going away. So we have been talking today about the teaching framework i've got to stop calling it the teaching call it a teaching framework because i think people get confused the teaching framework is what you'd probably refer to if you're a trainee uh, or an ect of the, the guidelines the standards that you have to hit um about planning about classroom management i'm not talking about that i'm talking about does your school have a pedagogical model or a teaching framework that it asks staff to uh fit into in order to check planning and check people are doing the right things. Um, and does that help their creativity to do that, to give them that structure, or does it hinder it? 
Uh, and my guest Ian today, we were talking about this uh, and we came to the conclusion, well, Ian came to the conclusion that, uh, which surprised me, actually, I thought he would be very anti-frameworks, but actually he wasn't. He was pro-framework if it's very kind of loose set of guidelines that within uh, that you can, teachers can still be autonomous and choose what strategies work best for their kids and for their subject. But you may have guiding principles um, like the big four that the EF talk about, feedback, metacognition, peer tuition. Um, I've forgotten what the other one is, but someone help me out. If I, I can't remember the fourth one off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, AFL, I think it might be. But you, you've got to, um, yeah, you've got, if there is research out there and it is driving how students learn and how the brain works, we are obviously going to use that. And you need to be putting that into place so that teachers have got it there to, to, to use to make sure they're having the most impact, that kids are learning the most they can. But the trick to it is then how you really, um, or how, well, what do you do? What do you, what would you put in your one? If you, if you had to design a teacher and learning set of guidelines or framework that you wanted all teachers to do, what would you put in it? Um, I guess the trick to it is to include elements of good practice that we know definitely work, um, like making sure there's good modeling, there's instruction, there's checking for understanding and feedback, um, and that there's a you know something at the start to bookend the lesson and either retrieve or focus kids on that, and something at the end to consolidate the learning from that lesson before they disappear to another subject. So that's kind of the building blocks. Um, but then are you at a school where you know you're getting hit over the head with Rosenstein's principles every five minutes and being told you must follow these these guidelines? Which again, I've looked at them, I don't have a problem with them. Obviously, I think they're brilliant um but really they're not saying anything that is for me rocket science uh but they do they do make some some good points and obviously they're based on a lot of evidence a lot of research so yeah I, i'm not surprised schools have jumped on them or people on twitter have but just just be careful because there is no real silver bullet here in teaching in my opinion so just you know using those means that everything's going to be hunky-dory it's a lot more complicated than that but they're a good starting point, as is uh, John Hattie's Visible Learning, as is the Accelerated Learning work of Alistair Smith, as is lots of other other things that are out there. There must be more models um, that people use. Um, and I guess what we've been talking about today is how strict you are about them and how much, you know, if you're at school where you have to use a certain language, um, does that really matter? I mean, like we said earlier, you know, you could say a connect phase, a starter or a do now. Does it make a big difference? Not necessarily, but it would if I've seen do nows that go on for 25 minutes. Um, that's not really a do now, is it? That's that's half your lesson gone in an hour's lesson. So there you've got a problem with delivery as opposed to buying. So you've got people doing it, but they're not really kind of doing it in the way that um, you, it should be done or in the way that, the, that it's most effective. Um but then again, there are nuances between subjects. Maths might just do a quick five minute low stakes test. Drama, we might do a longer 50 minute warm up. Uh, so there, there is there is obviously uh, subject nuance in there as well. We're going to take a quick ad break. Don't go away. Um, and then we will start wrapping up today's show. Still got time to call in and still got chance to win yourself a Teach Talk Radio mug. But you have to click the call in button, guys. Otherwise, there's no mug for you. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. 
Essential letters and sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MALS CP? Strange happened there. I'm on air. I'm still here. Can everyone hear me? Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. A little swipe in the mouth and mouse and it all went very, very strange. Good. Thanks, Mal. Uh, I don't know what happened. That was something to do with the magic mouse, but we we, we lost the end of that uh, ad break there. So perhaps what I'll do is I'll, I'll blast the, give the adverts another little blast before we finish today, uh, just in case I missed any of our, our partners out. And um, thank you to those partners that um, help keep Teachers Talk Radio going. So I'll, I'll, I'll give the adverts another little blast just before we go off air. Um, yes, sorry to Mal there. Um, I think I did something strange with the mouse and it and it basically swiped Podbean away, um, but didn't can, didn't disconnect me. So that's a, that's a good learning learning uh, curve for me that even if it's not on the screen, it is still live. So I'm glad I carried on talking, didn't start swearing, uh, which could have happened. Right. So um, yeah, to finish up, really, we're we're, we're talking about it. We've we've kind of gone from talking about uh, teacher strategy, teacher frameworks, to talking about CPD, which has led on to things to talk about habit changing uh, and how you kind of, I suppose, how you run a school effectively, really, is a broad topic that we've looked at. Um, but yes, we, we, you know, the key question out there for, for teachers is, do you feel the need for a framework? Does it help you uh, plan your lesson knowing that you've got to fit it into something, um, uh, some sort of content based structure um or do you feel like you don't need that and actually that's counterproductive um do you are you at a school where they're big on things like this and they're big on making sure how do you make sure people are doing it is it just about compliance or is it also about you know really looking at what is effective um you know we've got rid of judgments of lessons thank goodness haven't we although some schools may still do it but i think schools are moving away from the classifying lessons as one two three four because obviously Ofsted don't so that's a good shift I think um but I, I still worry do some schools look at you know how you judge quality of teaching uh you know obviously you can do that over time you can do that by drop-ins but you know you do we all feel that you need to have some form of um, framework in order for people to 
actually teach to the best that they can and saves you and what it does really effectively saves teachers especially young and newer teachers they're not going to go away and spend ages and ages, and ages researching these you are giving it to them and saying right this works make sure you've got high quality uh, feedback or make sure you've got uh, good questioning skills and within that that might be probing it might be random questioning it might be cold calling so within all of those there are there are little mini things but actually um if you were to not like ian, ian said earlier my guest today thank you to ian by the way thanks for joining me and giving up your time i know you're very very busy um but ian talked about for example questioning being very important uh whether a school is you know inadequate or outstanding you're still going to need to work on staff's questioning skills so that wouldn't be one that you would just tick off and say is done um but then ensuring that everybody does effective retrieval practice well you know do people need help with that do they need resources or are they happy just to write a test um anybody can write a test that's not that difficult i suppose but then it's how that's delivered um and, and you may have heard me and Ian talking about the banana armor principle earlier if you don't know what that is um, it's based on the old Bananarama song, It Ain't What You Do, It's The Way That You Do It, with the Fun Boy 3. Um, and if you're under the age of 40, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, that song is quite a famous song. Um, and uh, yeah, the Bananarama principle is effectively saying, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. So it's no good just saying to everybody who does retrieval practice, if you actually didn't, um, you know, do it in the right way but if everyone does something in the right way it'll be more effective right a few messages coming in ian's saying do i get a mug of course you do ian uh, anyone who calls in gets a mug uh, all that you have to do uh, because of gdpr i cannot sit here and broadcast ian's address to the world so what you need to do ian or anybody else that's called in and not had a mug yet on from my show um you've basically just got to go on the website uh email go into there click on there email your details through the website and say um, that you're on seven choice drive home um, and then somebody will pick that up and at some point post it out to you it might not happen tomorrow it might happen next week but certainly uh graham our resident postman will will try and uh, get that sent out to you asap some other little chats that coming on through there yes Gemma's just commented that's banana rama yes it was banana rama with the fun boy three um, so you can go onto YouTube now and, and listen to that to your heart's content. Um, and obviously Mal said uh, she's got it. Uh, Ian's suggesting Cruel Summer. Well, that's another Banana Rama song. We're not going to now spend eight minutes uh, talking about Banana Rama songs. Um, because actually most of them are Stock Aitken and Waterman, which is another debate, as is Rick Astley, as is uh, Sonia, Brother Beyond, Kylie Minogue. I could go on, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Stock Aitken Waterman and you realise they're responsible for most of the annoying songs of the 80s. Right, I digress yet again. I'm very, very sorry. Um, I will play the ads again just, just once before we finish today, just because I feel a little bit sorry uh, that Mal's advert got cut off. Uh, I'm going to quickly do that now and then we'll finish up. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. 
Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Right, there we go. So Mal got our full advert there. Sorry about that. Um, seem to be getting into a big debate now about Kylie Minogue, uh, which was completely unintentional. But uh, this is what happens when you bring Banana Rama into it. Um, yes, Mal, those songs you're talking about are fine. I don't think they're anything to do with Stock Aitken and Waterman. Uh, that is Kylie's body of work. Uh, from the beginning, um, which is where you get your your Rick Astley's and all your uh, and all your others, and if you actually listen to them, they all sound exactly the same because they're all produced by the the three guys who made quite a lot of money out of it. So good luck to them, I suppose. Um, weird, everyone knows who Pete Waterman is, but not so much the other two. Uh, right, so we're kind of finishing now. Um, I hope you've had enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, or if you're listening to it now later on the uh, podcast, um, thank you very much for downloading it. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it again. Um, no show next week from me, which I think I've already mentioned. Um, but we will be back two weeks after that. So I'll have a little think about what we'd like. Again, if you want me to tackle a certain subject or an area of teaching and learning or schools or pedagogy, please just drop me, drop me a message on Twitter at TributArkers74. Um, or if indeed you want to be a guest, we're open to anybody uh, to be on the show. We're also looking for a diverse range of people. Uh, so, you know, if you're on, on a primary school teacher, for example, that I haven't really had on much. Um, if you're from uh, a certain area of the country or background that I haven't really touched upon, please get in touch. You have got you're in the driving seat. You can let me know. Um, message me and um, I will. Uh, yeah, I will try and slot you in. Uh, to a Thursday afternoon, depending on your expertise. So I hope everybody's not too tired. Um, it feels like it's the nights are beginning to draw in now, aren't they? And in fact, um, the clocks also will go forward or back, whatever it is, um, very, very soon. Um, but don't let that put you down. Don't let that make you depressed. Um, yeah, six o'clock, I think it is. The sun goes down tonight. Um, but try not to get down about it. I know it, it can really affect some people in a really bad way. Try and remember you, um, you've you still got, um, there's still the same amount of hours in the day. It just psychologically feels less because um, it's dark and, and cold outside. But um, we've got a long way to go. We've got the winter to get through. We've got Halloween and all that shenanigans to come and bonfire night. All those fun, festive British events coming up. 
Um, but in the meantime, let's try and get through half term in one piece. Remember, it's been an, an, a really, I would say, unbelievable half term. Because if you think about it, everybody went back after lockdown uh, for the first proper term. And even though schools, there's been some school closures, this is the first time we've had a run like this for a long time. And I think it's just sh shattering and tiring because everybody's had to deal with gaps in knowledge, pressure from schools, pressure from, um, you know, the, to get the data. Uh, when you've got a mixed class of kids who engage with lockdown, some who didn't, some have been here, some haven't, some may have been ill, some may have had relatives that were ill. It's been a very funny old term, but I think actually just getting through it in one piece. Oh, yes, Mal's saying spring forward, fall back. Yes, thank you for that, Mal. Um, yes, so the clocks do, obviously, um, we get we get an extra hour, don't we? But then it goes dark at night. Uh, Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad we've sorted that out. Um, right. So I'm going to go now and I hope that you enjoyed it and I hope you have a good evening and a lovely weekend, whatever you're up to. Uh, the football's back, obviously, after the international break. So I'm pleased with that after the dire rubbish that I spent a small fortune on watching with my children, um, mostly on sweets and disgusting food. Uh, but um, that is, uh, we're back to normal football at the weekend. So uh, enjoy that if you like football if you don't like it i'm sorry um sorry not sorry right have a good evening uh take care and keep on trucking people uh we're nearly there you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio